Hello, and welcome to the third episode of my podcast in which I discuss creating class community. Recently, I've become a fan of Bell Hooks. I just finished reading her book, Teaching to Transgress, and I've been particularly influenced by my colleague Evan's commentary on Chapter 10, Building a Teaching Community. So I decided to make this idea the topic of this episode. I was also heavily influenced by Mrs. Shirley Pritchard when I heard her speak. She is a veteran English teacher at Squalicum High School, and she gave masterful advice on cultivating classroom culture, which I'll share at the end of the episode. On building a teaching community, Bell Hooks says this. When I enter the classroom at the beginning of the semester, the weight is on me to establish that our purpose is to be, for however brief a time, a community of learners together. It positions me as a learner, but I'm also not suggesting that I don't have more power. And I'm not trying to say we're all equal here. I'm trying to say that we are all equal here to the extent that we are equally committed to creating a learning context. I wanna take that commitment seriously. So I wanted to learn more about how to build connections with my students and how to create a strong sense of community with my classes. These ideas come up a lot, especially related to equity and diversity in education. And I wanted to learn more about how I can help foster this sense of community, specifically as a cis white teacher with students of different identities. So I began my research with the words of my friend Evan, who's a white man from Washington. And then I interviewed a couple other friends and made some recordings so that you could hear from them directly. I met these friends in my last year of high school. We went to a boarding program for high school students to start college early, similar to Running Start, except we all lived in a dorm together. It's called Games. Imani identifies as a black woman from Decatur, Georgia, and Kane Day is also from the Atlanta area and identifies as black slash African-American and gender non-binary. So in the essay that Evan graciously shares with us, he wrote about two teachers that he felt particularly connected to. One thing Evan wrote about a teacher that really sticks with me is this. He was always ready to help, made sure we participated in class, and showed me that humor and joy are not forbidden in the classroom. He was so patient and so open with us. He always showed strength and authority unless you spoke to him individually. But Mr. Davis was just like me. He felt emotion and connection, and he had no fear showing those feelings to others. Every year, on the last day of school, he read, The Wonderful Things You Will Be, and the last line always made him cry, and it wasn't for show. I think Evan is talking about a kind of genuine sincerity that's come up again and again in my research. He also said this about a different teacher, after a time when Evan was feeling kind of lost in school and had blown off some major assignments. He took me outside of the class after the deadline and told me what he expected of me. He was not going to let me fail and told me that much. This was the first time I had felt like perhaps my mind was valuable to someone, that I was wanted, and it really sparked something in me. He extended the due date for me with a point penalty and encouraged me to try my best. I still have that paper, which he graded harshly, but not cruelly. Later, Evan says this about the same teacher. I worked hard because of him. I knew that he wasn't lying when he said he believed I could do it, and I knew I wouldn't let him down. 
He was, with all honesty, the first person I felt I could trust when he said my work was not terrible and that I wasn't there by mistake. This is powerful to hear, and it parallels something Imani told me about her math teacher. At that time, I was really struggling with math. And for me, I felt like I'm not good at math. That's something that I'm not good at. And I basically kind of wrote it off as like, well, that's just not me. And that's not who I can be. And I feel like she saw something in me and said, no, like you can be good at math. You just have to practice and you have to believe that that is something that you can achieve basically. Um, And she ended up actually really helping me kind of cultivate a more positive experience around like learning math and um, believing in myself and not just writing something off. And um, she actually kind of, it was kind of like the first push to me like getting into math and you know, now I have a degree in it. So um, I definitely think that I was able to really um, connect with my uh, teachers when I was in high school. Is she black? No, she was white, actually. Um, Yeah, she was a white woman. I just want to add that math is only one of Imani's degrees. She also has a degree in industrial engineering. Anyway, then I asked Imani to talk about how she felt like she could engage with white teachers compared to black teachers. For context, almost all of the students and most of the teachers at her school were black. Uh, I think it was very much person-based. It's like, you can tell, it was really strange. You could tell the difference between teachers. You could tell the white teachers who were like there, but they just loved teaching and it didn't really matter, like color or whatever, they just love to teach. And you could definitely tell the difference between like teachers who definitely felt a certain type of way for black people. And it just felt like they were just there because that's the school that they were assigned to. Um, and you could tell that with the way that they engaged with students, both inside and out the classroom, how they would talk to students and the respect that they would give them. Um, and it, I mean, because we're all black is, I think it's very easy to say, well, maybe they just hate their job. But I honestly think it's we, like the fact that we were black played a part into that. Um, uh, but that being said, I did not always engage with my white teachers that well. And then later she told me another positive experience about a particular teacher. And I remember he never raised his voice. Like when kids were loud or they were talking, he would never raise his voice. It was like a very, it was always an atmosphere of like respect. Like he always respected us. I feel like he always respected us. We always respected him in turn. Um, He went out of his way to be personal personable like he wasn't just a teacher it's like you knew that he like liked to read comics and he played his guitar on the weekends like he made it a point to not only to get to know us but we also felt like we knew him um and I feel like those it's the difference right it's like knowing who that teacher is not just as a teacher but as a person and feeling like they also feel that in return it's like yes you're a student but you're also a person and I respect you in that regard um, and I feel like that's kind of what differentiates some of that. Um, yeah.
We also talked about what it was like for her to transition from public school to the games program. And later in our interview, she told me about what it felt like to be a minority at games. And she shared this experience with me. One of the administrators of the games program always made a point to talk about my hair. And I don't think she meant way miss susan Mm -mm. it was miss susan oh i never liked susan (laughs) yeah but she almost made a point to talk about my hair and i think and she was literally just curious but i think the fact that i feel like i always had to talk about my hair especially because i had just started wearing it natural when i um like when i was in games so it was already kind of a sensitive subject for me because here i am you know my entire life i've always either dyed or worn my hair straight so this was the first time that I'm really embracing like my natural curl pattern and who I am and I feel like it was always a constant like topic of conversation with her and I feel like that itself just like always made me feel different and it's like I on one hand I like embrace this different difference I I, I embrace that I embrace that difference because that was like what made me me or a part of me that made me myself but on the other hand it didn't help with feeling like I really belonged um yeah so and I feel like that actually I can't be the only one who kind of felt this way and I feel like everyone always makes a joke that like especially in our year all the black people like basically always hung out together but I felt like we all kind of felt that way. And that's why we always kind of gravitated and hung out together because we felt like there's always this underlying sense of otherness. Kande also had really interesting insights related to race and her school experiences. She brought up the infectiousness of a passionate teacher Again, reminding me how impactful it is for students when you just care really hard about your teaching, which is always nice and hopeful to hear about. But then she also told me about the reality of being a black child in a white teacher's class for her. I've had teachers who are different races than me. One of my favorite teachers in elementary school was this this white lady. Her name was Miss DeMarcus. Um, and she really loved reading books. I could tell it showed in her aura that she was a book lady. Um, and third grade was when I started to love books too. We read so many books in third grade that I still remember to this day, books that made me cry. Um, and I'm, I'm, I wanna say 100% that it was her love for reading that made me love books. Now, the, <laughs> the weight. <laughs> The weight of having a different race teacher as your teacher and trying to be the good student in the class. I was a good student, period. And so I always tried to carry myself as a kid who was polite, who wanted to learn, who wasn't going to disrupt the class, regardless of the race of the teacher. But I do know that there were times in middle school, not in elementary school. In elementary school, I never even thought about race. But in middle school, where um, I would try even harder to be a good student 
because I did not want this teacher of a different race. I don't know how this might sound, but to get a bad impression of our race, I was I was always in classes that were majority blacks, black and African American students. And I do remember consciously thinking that I have to like be good. I have to make sure that, you know, I stay on top of everything and I'm a good and respectful student so that at least the teacher <laughs> in in a class of unruly and a sea of unruly, because sometimes especially in, in one of my classes in my Spanish class, um, the class was unruly and I always just tried to make sure that the teacher knew that <laughs> there were <laughs> there are good amongst us, regardless of race. But it was it was about race. So the teacher would know that I don't know. I, I can't I can't um articulate this without sounding a certain way. I don't know but this is honestly how I felt. This is honestly how I felt as a kid. That if I didn't show the teacher that some black students are capable of just being good listeners and good students and ruly that they would think that we were all kind of just chaotic. But um, I definitely felt that weight. That weight, I think, was specific to having teachers of different races. That could be white. That could. I had a Hawaiian teacher, uh, so Pacific Islander. Here, I want to bring us back to Shirley Pritchard, who identifies as Korean, and something she shared that also stuck with me, which is that she didn't feel safe or wanted in class until college and didn't realize it. She had a feeling she didn't connect or belong, but never voiced it because it was so normalized. So I also asked Kane Day to talk about whether she felt like she personally belonged in school. From 6th to 12th grade, 6th grade was the only year in which I honestly felt like I personally belonged. And obviously this is in hindsight. <laughs> um, I was put into a gifted class where my peers, I thought, were both academically and socially you know, on the same page as me. Um, so we all got along really well. I felt like academically I was, I was challenged in the way that I wanted to be. Um, and socially, I, ha I had a lot of friends. And my teacher was really cool. She had like a, her name was Miss Hutchins. And I don't remember all of my teacher's names, but I remember hers. She had braces. She was, I think she was pretty young. She definitely had a childlike spirit. And I could tell that she really loved science and math. <laughs> and and because I could tell that she loved that, it made me kind of, you know, thinking that an adult, oh, she's like really, you know, giddy with excitement when it comes to these things. It was infectious, um, and I I I, thri I thrived off of that, um, and so did my classmates. And so when we would step out of the classroom, it was chaos. I mean, we were put it back into the you know, the 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 population, and it was different. But every time we stepped into that classroom, it felt like we were in our own little cave, our own little make believe world, um, where learning was fun. Our teacher was cool. And we all just got along, um, and I, and I know that um, so you can kind of cut it from here. Um, 
but I know that um, some of the other kids were, prob were probably jealous. This is, a, this is a message for you, Jessica. That the other kids were probably jealous because I know they would look into our classroom and be like, what are they doing today? It, it really much felt like magic school bus type situation where the other kids had their normal classes and then it was only in uh, Miss Frizzle's class so they got to do fun things. Um, that's what that class felt like. It felt like we were, you know, on the magic school bus going to do crazy experiments. Um, and I loved math and science, so that was great for me that she also loved, Miss Hutchins also loved math and science. And, I, and I'll never forget this class because this honestly was my favorite class. And Miss Hutchins, she was, she was black, so um, just so you can Im imagine in your head. When I say she was cool, she was so cool. She had so many different things for us to like think about and do. We had this one project where we had to like build a car and that to date. I don't care about Georgia Tech. That to date was my favorite project. I went home and just searched the house for things that would make aesthetically, you know, pleasing, but also that it would, you know, actually work. And I was so proud of my little car that I made. <laughs> I didn't even procrastinate. Like, that's how excited I was to make this thing. It didn't seem like a thing that I didn't want to do, that I was dragging to do. I was so excited to do it. Obviously, as an engineer, I like to build things. And she gave us the outlet to... To, to actually do that um and you know pr prior to sixth grade I was building things in my house so I was I was no you know stranger to building things so I bring my little car to class and I, to me I had the best car I mean it was I don't even know if I have a picture but she really made me feel like I did a great job I think she I think she liked it she definitely didn't if she didn't she didn't say so um but I'll never forget, that was probably the funnest, you know, year that I had in school. It was definitely sixth grade. I love this story so much. I especially love her comparison to Ms. Frizzle and the Magic School Bus. I think that show is so widely adored and just brilliant because it's actually just about a class of kids with a really cool teacher and an awesome community between the students. In the fantasy of television, they have a bus that's literally magical. But the reality is that you can create that sense of whimsy for children just by creating an awesome community of learners between you and your students. In doing this research, I learned so much from Bell Hooks and from my friends, and I hope you did too. And I'd like to leave you with some philosophy and methods I gleaned from Mrs. Pritchard which carries deeper significance for me in consideration of the experiences we've been privileged to hear about in this episode. Number one, on the first day of class, introduce yourself to and welcome every student into the classroom. Let them choose wherever they wanna sit. Say, I trust you to make a good decision. Hand out a confidential interview form that asks for things like pronouns, triggers, how they engage with your subject, what they want to learn. Use this to inform what and how you teach and use it to finalize your syllabus. Number two, when creating norms, ask, how do we want to do this together? Have students drive the creation of norms. She calls this a circle of strength and she uses a visual cue of a circular hand signal to symbolize this and she uses that to remind students of classroom norms. Number three, encourage safety and feeling wanted 
and creates space and ownership for student voice in the classroom. Number four, allow students to see you as a human being. Number five, silence and complacency send a message. Number six, on students who advocate oppression. They are just so young. They need love and reassurance and guidance. Number seven, norms are reciprocal. Expect students to behave the way you treat them.